Well, this is week number five of a five-part series. Let's talk about rejection for a minute. I just want to tell you a little bit about myself, and maybe some of you can relate to this as well. For me, rejection, it it causes me sleepless nights. I, I think about it. I dwell on it. I roll it over and over again in my mind. If I've been rejected... I have trouble sleeping. And it makes me during the day, I'll just worry about that all day long. And and being rejected, for me, it makes me doubt my worth, and it makes me doubt my value. And rejection, for me, it hurts. It, It sometimes even physically, it just hurts. And for my emotions, it stings my emotions. Sometimes it makes my emotions just throb. I can't stop thinking about it. I I can be loved by a hundred people and they can say something to me that encourages me and and to let me know that I'm loved. But then one person can reject me and guess which voice I'm going to listen to? The rejection. That's me. That's how I'm wired or that's how I've been kind of miswired. There are so many different types of rejections. We, we face most of these. Maybe for you, you've been rejected by a father. Now, I'm not talking about discipline because good, good, healthy discipline does not involve rejection. But perhaps you have a relationship with your father where you just, in your mind, you think you don't measure up. And, and when you think of your father, you just think, well, I, I don't measure up. Maybe you have a tough relationship with your mom and you, there's something there and you just, when you think about her, you think, well, she just doesn't approve of me. Maybe with your family, you, you, you're, you're with family, your kin, your blood, but maybe you don't feel at home. Maybe you've been rejected by a husband or a wife and they say to you, I don't love you anymore and I want to be with them. Maybe you've been rejected. You know, we can even be rejected by our children. Maybe they don't want to be around you anymore. We can be rejected by a boyfriend, by a girlfriend, and, and, and maybe they're creating space from you, and we don't like that because that space they're creating to us maybe says they're wanting to back off, to back away, to back away from you. We want maybe to be around people, but at the same time, we don't want to be around people because we're afraid of rejection. There's other types of rejection, maybe a promotion at work that you got passed over and they gave it to somebody else. Maybe your job was terminated. Maybe you got fired. Maybe, maybe you have applied for a job and then applied for another job and applied. You keep applying, but maybe they're not calling you back. Maybe you have failed at something, and that is a form of rejection. Maybe you're doing the online dating thing. Nothing wrong with that, but let me tell you, the rejections increase and multiply a whole lot faster. There's a lot more rejection there. Maybe on Facebook, maybe someone has ignored you, and you thought that they would certainly like your post at least, but maybe they never did. Maybe they don't follow you. Maybe they've unfriended you or blocked you. When you get rejected, we go through a range of emotions, and they cycle and they change. They can be different. We have sadness, and we move to depression, sometimes anxiety. Sometimes we get phobic behavior. Sometimes we get angry, and we lash out. 
Sometimes we fear rejection so much that we just don't want to have anything to do with anybody around us, and so we avoid them. We don't make eye contact. We don't engage in conversation. For some of us, we're so driven to be accepted by the person around us that we will actually take on an identity that we think that's what they're looking for or that's what they want. And we try to become whatever that person wants. And then when we go to another area, then we try to become what that person wants. And we don't have a sense of who we are. Sometimes we fear rejection so much that it becomes a driving force, a motivating factor for all of the actions in our lives, whether it's in relationships or in our career or our education or our family, even our community life. Even the way we spend our leisure time is impacted by our fear of rejection. And all too often we end up pushing people away as as if to say, I'm going to reject you first before you can ever reject me. And as we pull away from those relationships and push them away, we feel the distance and then we feel rejected again, even if we're the ones who push them away. It's an endless cycle that can lead to us being codependent, to us being clingy, to us being obsessively jealous or angry in our relationships. And all of that too can drive other people away. Wow. There's a lot to rejection, but unfortunately, that's not even the worst of it, because I think the greatest damage that rejection causes is usually not what that person has done to me, but in fact, the greatest damage is what I do to myself in light of the rejection whether it's that we got dumped by somebody we were dating or we got picked last or didn't get picked at all. It's not that we go and lick our wounds, but it's that we do this. We become intensely self-critical. In fact, we begin to call ourselves names. We begin to focus on our shortcomings, and we begin to feel disgusted with ourselves because of all of that. In other words, just when our self-esteem is hurting the most, we go and we damage it further. Really, just it's like we're stabbing ourselves in the heart because they've rejected me or they rejected you, and we go and damage ourselves even further. You know what the scientists have discovered using MRI studies on the brain? That in your brain, when you are physically in pain, something hurts you physically, The area of your brain that goes berserk, that really lights up on the MRI, is the very same area that lights up when you feel the emotions of being rejected by somebody else. The physical pain area of our brain is the same area that is impacted when you are rejected and you feel that emotional pain. You see, we can actually relive an old social pain that we experienced. And vividly in our mind, we can relive that very same, in just a moment, you can go back to something that happened to you as a child, something that that harmed you, some rejection that you experienced, that emotional social pain that you felt. You can get in your mind, in your body, and the way you feel and react to that, you can get to the very same place you were then, just like that. 
But if I were to ask you to describe to me the pain you experienced when you fell off your bicycle and bloodied up your knee, you can't really remember that or describe that. I mean, you can see what it looked like, but you cannot physically experience that again. But with your emotions and rejection, you physically can go back to that state that you were in. That sounds like a curse, doesn't it? That's the kind of power that rejection has over our lives. But you know, it also impacts our ability to just live among other people. God has placed inside of you and me this need to belong and to be a part. And when we fear rejection, we push people away so that we cannot connect with people. There's a lot to rejection. Do you know what else studies have shown? With rejection, not just the range of emotion, but do you know what? Rejection, this is crazy to me, but I understand how it can be true. Rejection temporarily lowers your IQ. Which is why we have done some of the stupidest things when we have been hurt and rejected. Studies show your IQ actually goes down when you have been rejected. Wow. That explains a lot. <laughs> so rejection. It does not respond to reason or logic or understanding. Even if the person that has rejected you comes back to you days later and tries to make it right, it can get better. But, but studies say that we still hang on to that pain somewhat, even when they try to make it right. Rejection. It causes us to hurt, and it causes us to respond. Now let's jump into the Word and see where we go from here. We've been talking about King David. To just give you a very quick summary, David was anointed king, but there was another king who was in place. David was really God's man for the job. That's who God wanted. Saul was in place. Saul found out that this was all going on. Saul chased David around for 30 years. He chased David around trying to kill him. Finally, Saul dies, David becomes the king. David has a great 20-year rule, a great 20-year reign. Things were going really pretty good for Israel, for David. Good things were happening. Then things begin to change. David, he falls in love with a married woman, and he has an affair with her. She gets pregnant. David has her husband murdered and his ch then he goes and marries this woman then. And, and David's children, who are about the same age as the girl he had an affair with, his children see all of this happening, and they, it really marks a very significant moment in the life of David when really everything now begins to go downhill. He had 20 years of a good reign, but now he's going to have 20 years of a horror story. And that's what happened. Not long after David had this affair and the murder and the marriage, not long after that, David's oldest child, who was about the same age as the woman he had an affair with, his oldest child raped his half-sister. 
his sister. He raped her. Now, the sister's full-blooded brother, when he saw what David did, which David did nothing, the Bible says that when David heard about it, he was angry. That's it. He just got angry. He just got mad. That, that's all. He didn't do anything. And when Absalom heard that he didn't do anything, Absalom began planning and said, I'm going to take, I'm going to take care of this. This is not just going to happen. I'm going to take care of it. So he began plotting, planning. Uh, it took a few years to do it, but he planned this great thing and, and he killed his older brother. And now Absalom takes off and he's hiding. And for three years, Absalom is hiding from his family, afraid of what might happen. And after three years of hiding and the fear of what might happen if he gets discovered, what would happen, it seems to all be over. And David is ready, it seems, to forgive. And this is where we pick up this story. 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 24. But the king gave this order. This is King David. Absalom may go to his own house. In other words, he can come home. Absalom, he doesn't have to worry anymore. He can come home. We're not going to kill him. He can come home, come back home. But then he said, but he must never come into my presence. So Absalom did not see the king. Now, here's what happened. Absalom comes home. He's, he's home. He's in Jerusalem. He's in his own house. But he never hears from, nor does he ever see his father, King David. And Absalom is there for two years. And every single day of those two years, once again, never hearing from his dad. Never seeing his dad. Two years not being acknowledged by his father. Two years. He came home. But his father won't see him and his father won't speak to him two years every single day of being rejected. Two years of every single day in his mind hearing these words, you, Absalom, are not worthy of being in my presence. I don't want you. Two years of Absalom thinking, maybe today will be the day. Maybe today dad will let me back in his life. Maybe today, but every day was met with another rejection. No, Absalom, no, not today. Today, you are not loved. Now, being rejected day after day, oh, it's understandable how the heart's going to grow cold and angry and bitter and emotionally, you might become like the living dead. Absalom feeling all of these things, he's like, I've got to get into my dad's presence. Maybe, just maybe. So he goes to a middleman. He's like, maybe you can help me get into my dad's presence. Will you go talk to him for me? He tries to contact this middleman to help him get back in his father's presence, but oh, he's rejected there too. The guy will have no conversation with him, won't even acknowledge him. And so Absalom gets really angry, throws a fit, and he, he, he burns down the dude's crops, all of his crops. And finally that got his attention. 
In 2 Samuel 14, verse 31, here's what happened. Then Joab came to Absalom at his house and demanded, why did your servants set fire to my fields? You know, why, why are my fields all on fire? Why did you do this? Verse 32, and Absalom replied, well, because I wanted you to ask the king why, just why, why he brought me back. Listen, if he did not intend to see me, why did he have me come back? If he's going to reject me day after day, I would have been better off over there. He says, he says, I might as well have stayed there. Let me see the king. If he finds me guilty of anything, then let him kill me. He's saying that would be better than what I'm, what I'm living through right now. Verse 33, so Joab told the king what Absalom had said. And then, at last, David summoned Absalom, who came, and he bowed low before the king. And finally, and the king kissed him. He, he welcomed him home. In this moment, King David, he offers Absalom forgiveness but we're going to find out it's, it's too late. The damage, the damage has been done here. The continual rejection now has overpowered Absalom's mind, and now there are irreconcilable differences. And we look at that and we say, well, I mean, it's understandable we see that when someone has been rejected so much, it's understandable that their heart grows cold toward that person who's rejecting them. And we understand it because we have been there. We have been rejected and we know what it feels like. We have all had someone in our life or in our past who has rejected us. And now because of that we don't want anything to do with them. I, I mean, we don't want to see them at Walmart. We don't want to pull up at the stoplight next to them. We don't want to see them pass us on the street. We don't want to even hear someone mention their name. We don't want to be reminded that one of our friends is a friend of theirs. We don't want that. Because we understand some of what Absalom is feeling in this moment. But here's what Absalom does. He kind of fakes it. He just pretends. He plays along. And he pretends to submit to David, his father. He pretends to submit to David, the king. But the whole time, Absalom's mind is going and he is developing an evil plan. He begins to plot away how he's going to steal this kingdom away from his father. Now his father happens to be the king who was chosen by God. So Absalom begins to plot this and plan this. And it's not just against his dad. It's not just against the king, but it's against God's plan. Here's how this plays out in 2 Samuel chapter 15, starting with verse 1. After this, so after that went down with his dad, after this, Absalom bought a chariot and horses, and he hired 50 bodyguards to run ahead of him. In other words, what he's doing, he's making it appear that he's really important. 
and he's like in the good graces of the king and he's and things are really important and he's important that's he just want this he wants this image verse 2 he got up early every morning and went to the gate of the city now the gate is where the business took place of the city that's where it happened. It says, when the people brought a case to the king for judgment, Absalom would say this. He would ask, well, where, where in Israel are they from? And then he would say, well, tell me your tribe. What tribe are you a part of? And then here's what would happen in verse 3. Then Absalom would say, you've really got a strong case here. Man, it's too bad that the king doesn't have anyone to hear it. Verse 4, why well, I wish I were the judge. Man, then you could bring your cases to me for judgment, and I, I would give you justice. You hear what he's doing? He's undermining the king, and he's lifting himself up, and then listen to what happens. Verse 5, the people would try to bow before him. In other words, they would try to treat him like a king or royalty. And here's, this was so clever. Absalom wouldn't let them. Instead, he took them by the hand and he embraced them. In other words, you're not going to treat me like a king. I'm your brother. I'm your brother. You see what's happening? In verse, verse 6, here's how it went down. Absalom did this with everyone who came to the king for judgment. And so he stole the hearts of all the people of Israel. Now here's our bottom line. We're going to say this several times over the next few minutes. Absalom has been hurt and wounded by his father. And we look at that and we say that makes sense. That's understandable. Here's the bottom line. Just because your pain is understandable doesn't mean your behavior is acceptable. Just because we can look at your life and say, yes, I understand how you can be so furious and how you are so deeply wounded and hurt, I understand that. But it doesn't make your behavior and your response and what you're doing now acceptable. And here's what Absalom does. He goes on from that moment where he has stolen the hearts of Israel, and now he goes and raises an army from all the tribes of Israel, and he marches on Jerusalem, where his father is sitting as king over the whole nation. And now King David has to gather up what little army he has, and he has to run for his life Again, You see, he spent 30 years running from King Saul, but now he's running from his own son. Just because your pain is understandable doesn't mean your behavior is acceptable. When Absalom reaches Jerusalem... He claims all of Israel for himself. He sets himself up as king. He moves into the palace. And to further destroy his father, Absalom sleeps with 10 of David's wives. And they had remained behind to take care of the palace. And Absalom, what makes it even worse is he does this really in plain view of all of Jerusalem just so he can shame his father. Just because your pain is understandable doesn't mean your behavior is acceptable. 
And David takes what little army he has available that he escaped with, and he gathers them together, and now he prepares to take back his kingdom. And Absalom is gathering his army, and he's out searching for David, and he's ready to wipe David off the face of the earth. But as the story goes, David ar- David's army prevails, and they're victorious. And in the process, Absalom, his son, actually dies, and now David's kingdom is restored. So here's what we're asking. What can we learn from this real-life horror story, this tragedy of Absalom, and all the pain that he went through and the pain in his family? What do we learn? And I think it's this. Just because your pain is understandable doesn't mean your behavior is acceptable. We know that we are going to emotionally hurt in this life. And here's what we need to do. We need to hurt in the arms of God. The Bible tells us that God actually overwhelms the repentant heart with grace and with love. Our encouragement is this, don't do what your pain is telling you to do. Because just because your pain is understandable and it makes sense, and we would all look at your life and say, yes, it makes sense why you have been hurt so deeply and why you feel that way. Yes, it makes sense, but it doesn't mean your behavior is acceptable. And our challenge to you today is this, learn to run into the arms of God instead. To help you remember that, to help you have that on the front of your mind this week, as you leave today, take one of the cards. It's on each end of the rail that you'll walk around. If you're listening on Facebook Live, we'll have it uploaded to Facebook this week. But take one of those cards And let that card, what it says, remind you to run into the arms of God. And don't keep thinking about the pain that that person has caused. Don't keep thinking about that person who has injured you. Don't keep replaying over and over and over in your minds the perfect answer, what you should have said, what you will say next time. Don't keep stabbing yourself in the heart and saying how horrible you are and being self-critical of of you. Just don't... Here's what we want you to do. Run into the arms of God. Go straight to Jesus instead. And let him consume your thoughts. Let him help you find a safe place for your heart. A safe place for your thoughts and a safe place for your emotions. We're giving you three steps on the card. Just suggestions. When you are hurt by somebody, the first suggestion, don't hate yourself. Don't further hurt yourself. We're saying don't hate the very person that God loves, you, yourself. The second thing we're saying is surround yourself with God's words. 
these words that will speak life into your life, and these words that will help you remember how valuable you are to your Heavenly Father. And then the third thing we're suggesting, I know this sounds so bizarre. The third thing we're suggesting is that you join a serving team. I know that sounds weird. And I know it sounds like, well, he's just trying to bolster up the serving teams because they're running low on people. That's not what's happening. This is a legitimate step. And here's why. We're not having new small groups launched until next spring. So you can't get in a group. And here's what we know the way you are wired and I'm wired, God did it. He put us in there. He's wired you to belong. And since you can't get in a small group right now, the next best thing you can do, and it's something we talk about anyway all the time, is to get into a serving group, a serving team on Sundays so you can belong. And those people you are serving beside will accept you, and they will encourage you, and they will love you. That is a great place to start. And here's the second reason why that's important. Because as we are serving other people, it helps us to take our eyes off of our hurt and our pain that we have been rolling around in and having in our mind, and we've been planning and plotting and saying, I should say this, I'll say this next time, I'll do this. It helps us take our mind off of ourselves and to place it on someone else and to love them and encourage them and to serve them. It is so important. This morning we are challenging you. Will you take one of these cards, take it home and let it remind you that just because your pain is understandable, it doesn't make your behavior acceptable. So instead of doing what our pain tells us to do, do this, run and hurt in the arms of Jesus. And there you will find healing for a broken heart. There you will find God who, the Bible says, is close to the brokenhearted, is there for those people whose spirits are crushed. But guess what? You need to run into his arms. And we're asking you to begin to learn how to do that. In just a moment, we're going to sing two songs that are going to celebrate the fact that we have a God that we can run to. Let's pray. God, your word tells us in Psalms that you are close to the brokenhearted. And God, we have friends here today who have some broken hearts and some hurts. And God, your word tells us in that same passage that you will rescue those whose spirits are crushed. And God, just because our pain is understandable in life and people would look at our lives and say, yes, it makes sense that you are so hurt. But God, it doesn't mean our behavior is acceptable. Help us to learn Oh God, that we need your help. Help us to run into your arms instead of lashing out in pain and anger. God, we need help to do it because lashing out comes so natural to us. We need your help 
to learn how to run to you where you will heal the brokenhearted and you will rescue those whose spirits are crushed. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen.